Welcome to Fraggle Shrock, the podcast where we read Atlas Shrock, the classical libertarian mystery novel from 1957 by Ayn Rand, and watch episodes of Fraggle Rock, a Jim Henson Muppet TV show from the 80s. And why do we do this, you ask? Well, of course, to discover all the deep hidden connections between the two that are obviously in there. My name is Henrik. Joining me, as always, is my co-host Sigfall. Hello. And welcome back. Yeah. Let's say let's say back this time because we had the introductionary episode. Then we tried recording the first episode, mm. and then what happened? Well, uh, I, I didn't record. Uh, so really good start to this podcast. I would yeah, say. it's it's embarrassing because I'm the one mixing and <laughs> keeping track of all the sound stuff. So uh, not my proudest hour, but no, no, no but, but but we tried to talk it through. So maybe now we'll get it a bit tighter. Yeah. We went on for quite a long time before, so. Uh, but we had some interesting idea there, uh, and let's let's try to see if we can remember them and revisit them. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Okay. okay. Ian Rand wouldn't have been proud of you. That's for sure. No, her line of thinking is everything should be kept all the time and be left in the book. Exactly. This is why you end up with a thousand pages book where the whole first chapter introduces only three characters and a tree. Hey, spoilers. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into that later. Yeah. So, should we get into the, the two works? Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's describe each of them in turn and then uh, go into some uh, deep uh, cross-analysis afterwards. Let's do it. You have, you have a bit of a like, short summary of, of both, don't you? Yeah, because uh, unlike you, who has just been listening to the audiobook and uh, watching it once, I have actually read the book Ooh. twice. Uh, well, the chapter and watched the Fraggle thing twice, so I've uh, really absorbed the material and taking way too many notes, more than 10,000 words. So I think that is deeply, deeply terrifying. Uh, so, uh, it's disturbing, but yes. it, fits, it fits the book. It's the perfect time to go on way too long. So you basically have as much in notes as the first chapter of the book, almost. Maybe. Because the I can say as much because I read uh, I read it as an audiobook at mm. some mm. modern these days, and I bit it off like in two segments. So I, I heard the first segment in in like the first thirty minutes. It's an hour total. The first thirty minutes I heard uh, mm. in one sitting, and then the the second in another sitting. So uh, shortly the this chapter. Yes. Should I just uh, because I wrote some uh, very brief uh, summaries. Mm-hmm. Go fire. Um, president of Railroad refuses to maintain Railroad. That's sort of the gist of what's happening here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A man whistles while he works, and a woman mistakes it for a symphony orchestra. <laughs> and finally, mysteries are afoot. A man refuses a promotion. Nobody knows who this John Galt fella is. And a classical composer may have written more concertos than initially expected. The intrigue and suspense is overwhelming. And on that note, wow. Uh, yeah. How to sell a book? Because it is almost more exciting than what we're su- yeah, susceptible to. This is, a, this is a book that I suggest should be called The Economics of Railroad Maintenance. Because that's most of what we get here. That would be a very expressive title. That's exactly the first chapter of the book. Yeah. So... We get introduced to the in the first chapter to Eddie Willis, mm. uh, who sees 
the the universe through his eyes. He sees all the buildings and the structures. On his way to work, he meets a homeless guy on the streets. Um, and then his, you, we basically get to know his character traits by the way he interacts with this homeless man. Mm. Uh, and then he goes to work to this company called Taggart Transcontinental, which is a which is a railroad station. Yes, um, where we get introduced to the second character of the of this um, of this book called James Taggart, and he's the president of the Taggart Transcontinental, and he's basically introduced as somewhat of a villainous character. Uh, we're not meant to like him, that's for sure. We're not made to like him, no. He is described in not too fond words. Uh, he's the boss of the company. It doesn't go too well with Taggart Transcontinental. There's some problems with especially one side of the train line. Uh, and Eddie and James discuss this, uh, where James basically pulls rank at several points, saying he knows best. Yeah. I mean, he's, as he says, railroad accidents happen every day. So he's not very concerned that a major part of that railroad is just busted and train wrecks happen every day. <laughs> no, he seems he seems a bit more concerned with uh, with his friends and how he maintains his relations to them. Yeah. So a classical uh, capitalist we have here. And uh, then uh, in the in the last part of the chapter, we get introduced to Daphne Taggart, which is the um, the sister of James Taggart. Yes. And the way we get introduced to her. Is, a, is in a much more mundane way. She's riding a train towards having a meeting with James. In this way, we get introduced to the actual trains uh, and to the people working there. And to their big surprise, all of a sudden, the daughter of the company is riding with the train. Among the common people. Exactly. Uh, so that's, this is where we get to know her interactions with the common folk. Yes, and that's basically the first uh, chapter in this book, yeah. in very broad lines. I mean, uh, Eddie Willis and uh, the Taggart's uh, childhood friends, mm -hmm. um, Eddie and Dagny had like a very close connection when they were kids. It seemed like they were meant to be a couple or something, but now uh, she's uh, he's her assistant, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's a weird dynamic. Oh yeah, yeah, already here. Weird stuff going on. Yeah, she's kind of uh, she's friend zoned him, or more more precisely, employee zoned him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you can hear some noise, that's because I'm drinking. Uh, I'm on my third gin and tonic right now. It only seems fitting at yeah. this point with uh, one failed recording. And this one must not fail. So, should we head directly? into the summary of the Fraggle Rock universe. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Okay, so episode one of the Fraggle Rock series is called The Beginning, very appropriately. And in sort of just very short terms, it's about an old man who fails to notice an infestation of mutated rats underneath his garden shed. <laughs> Some other things that happens is uh, construction workers watch their just-finished building get eaten by giants... They applaud this. <laughs> and uh, advice from a trash heap somehow helps somebody. Oh, yeah, the trash heap. Yeah. Wonderful creature. And also, along the way, friends come together to scream while watching their friend almost get eaten by a big dog. Then someone plays with a ball. Wow. And we're off. Okay, so, Fraggle Rock. This is a place that's 
underneath the earth mm-hmm. where there live some weird furry creatures called freckles. And they just live down mm-hmm. there and are happy and dance and sing all day. Uh, they have no contact with the outside world until one day when one adventurous freckle called Matt is uh, exploring the the cave's outer edges. And just by coincidence, an old man is uh, cleaning up his shit to convert it to a workshop, and he removes a box from the wall where there's a hole through the wall. So now Matt sees the world for the first time. And already here we get to know that the Fraggle universe and the so-called human universe exist in two different universes because he thinks some pipes are volcanoes, as far as I remember. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they, they coexist completely independently of each other until now when Matt discovers outer space, Mm -hmm. which was believed to be a legend. So, what does the adventurous Fraggle do? He uh, packs all his things and uh, decides to go on an adventure. Uh, He leaves his stuff with his nephew called Gobo, who is the main character of the series, and uh, sort of a nervous young purple Fraggle, and uh, says that, oh, Every few days you should go out to the first room of outer space to collect postcards, which I will be sending, chronicling my experiences out in space, the final frontier. So, Gobo uh, promises this, but is not very comfortable with it. He's very nervous. So, he hangs around, he, he talks to his friends and stuff, in Fraggle Rock, there are the Fraggles, and then there are also smaller things called the Deucers, that are small creatures that are building things all the time. And the Fraggles eat these buildings, and then the Deucers build more, and then the Fraggles eat them, and then the Deucers build more, and it's a natural symbiotic relationship. And if that sounds absolutely insane when you describe it, it's because it's absolutely insane when you watch it. it- <laughs> <laughs> the Deucers are very fine with this arrangement. As they say, architecture is meant to be enjoyed. And they're weirdly accepting of it. Like, yeah, it, it warms their heart to see that newly finished building get eaten. Which for us seems, it seems terrifying when they eat their buildings and almost eat these tiny creatures. It's, yeah. it's not pleasant to watch, I would say. Yeah, as far as we know, they don't eat the deuces. But we may find out that there's a whole episode dedicated to a feast of deuces. At this point, it wouldn't surprise me, at least. No, but uh, we have gotten the the story's main problem, the big quandary, which is that Gobo has promised to collect mail from Uncle Matt in the room, but in the room there's a big dog, which he sees as a monster. So he's afraid to do what he's promised to do. This is the main conflict of the story. A monster with terrible breath as he gets introduced. Oh, yeah. It's a scary dog. So, what does he do? He needs some advice. Does he ask his many friends? No. What he does is go ask the trash heap for advice. As you do. like a Totally normal way to react to something like that. I do it all the time. Uh, so, to get to the trash heap, he has to uh, go through the gawk garden. And the Gorks are big, human-sized monster thingies that hate Fraggles. We don't learn a lot about them, but in this episode, they almost catch Gobo, but he escapes. And it looks a bit like uh, they want to eat 
the fraggles? Very likely, very likely. It, ha- it has that vibe. Yeah. Well, fraggles do look tasty. <laughs> um, so he gets to the trash heap, which is like a big, uh, big lady, like a figure that is a trash heap. <laughs> it's hard to describe. It's it's a anthropomorphized trash heap, and it has two rat-like little creatures as hype men. And it sings about how lovely it is to have all kinds of trash on your head. Yeah, and it likes trouble. Its favorite thing is trouble. So, uh, a good start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe we all have hype men like that in our lives. Oh, yeah. I wish I had two trash creatures as hype men, that's for sure. Yeah, they love that trash heap. And she claims to be all-knowing and full of wisdom. So, naturally, Gobo asks about what he should do here. He looks for advice. He's so alone and there's a monster. What should he do? And the heap says, Alone? Then don't be alone. Get some friends. Friends help. Then good thing our main character has a lot of friends in the Fraggle universe. Yeah, very very insightful advice. Very, very helpful. <laughs> yeah, he really did need to escape a terrible Fraggle eating creature to find out that he just needed friends. That's Perfect. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always the lesson of any good story. That is, you need friends. So he goes back and talks to these friends, which he already had. And, uh, well, they're not super helpful, but they promise to go along when he has to collect the postcard. And meanwhile, they just wait in the cave and watch as he goes out into the dangerous place. They don't go with him. They don't do much more than just watch. They're not that good of a friend. No, but luckily the dog's big red ball rolls into the fraggle hole and they are very disturbed by this and called a hideous round thing. They find it very uh, terrifying. Yes, of course. They have never seen a ball before and the way the the fraggles are structured compared to the human universe Mm -hmm. makes them quite like in size of the ball. So it's it's a huge ball. Yeah, it's hideous and round. <laughs> so uh, as Gobo goes out into the room and gets the postcard, he's pursued by the dog. But luckily, uh, the fraggles, I think it's almost accidentally, they just push the ball out and the dog is uh, is distracted and they, uh, they get back to safety comfortably while singing and singing because they sing all the time. We, we are dealing with, what, six songs in this first episode? <laughs> Something around there when you count the reprises and the repetitions. But, I mean, this is a show, it's 25 minutes, and it takes the time out to have a harmonica solo. You gotta at least respect that. Yeah. I think the, the, the writers of the show seem to have a lot of fun writing <laughs> these, these silly little songs that are, that are surprisingly catchy, actually. <laughs> they, are, they are actually very good. Uh, <laughs> I'm also almost embarrassed to say that uh, at several times I was just finding that uh, I didn't have any jokes about the show. I was just laughing at the jokes in the show. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a bit endearing. And especially yeah. for a children's show, it actually still holds up somewhat, mm-hmm. at least this first episode. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I, in, in particular, I liked when, uh, when the uncle character, Matt, decides to go traveling. He calls himself, no. I'm called Traveling Matt. And then there's a chime yeah, sound. And the fraggles are genuinely surprised at that sound. Like, what, <laughs> what was that? 
There, there, there are like tiny jokes like that, which almost makes me believe that they made it just as much for adults as kids, because there are like yeah, uh, that, that, fine that's little meta, meta things in there. That's too meta for a kid to get. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so that's episode one of, of Fraggle Rock. And, uh, and now we're, we're, we've begun like making our little journey. Yeah, we are off. This is the beginning. This is the beginning, the second beginning, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So, so we uh, could we could just as easily address it that we um, we have recorded as we we spoke about we have recorded one episode that failed. Yeah. Um, so we might as well be getting into some of the materials we were thinking about here because we have to analyze how the two universes fit together, right? Yeah. So, what is the overlap? Do they connect? Do they exist in the same world? And I think we conclude that they do. They they actually do, and we we concluded this via the character of Dagny. Yes, because what we thought about is Dagny. Dagny is not a real name, is it? No, it's, it sounds more like a fraggle because the fraggles are called stuff like Gobo and Moki and Booba. And in that vein, Dagny fits perfectly. Plus, she's a bit of an she's a bit of an off character in the in she's the strange. universe. She's a really strange person. Um, I may just get into some of the notes I have about her here. Yes. Because just the description of her is completely impossible to uh, visualize. She's described several times, and each of them are just vague collections of adjectives and words mashed mm -hmm. together. It's described that her face was made of angular planes, the shape of her mouth clear-cut, a sensual mouth, held closed with inflexible precision. But then the next description says, she looked like a young girl, only her mouth and eyes showed that she was a woman in her 30s. And then later on, as her brother thinks about her, we are told that few people liked her face. The face was too cold, the eyes too intense, Nothing could ever lend her the charm of a soft focus. So what does she look like? I have absolutely no idea what she looks like. And I don't think Ayn Rand had either. No. Strangely enough. Um, Picture a young girl with a face made of angular planes mm -hmm. and a um, sensual mouth held closed with inflexible precision and intense cold eyes. That are devoid of charm. This is where we get into the almost masturbatory use of language that Ayn Rand does. Like it, it is, is intense. It is insane how she uses language and just revels in it. And I, yeah, I know why this book is a thousand pages long. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, you may think that these few sentences are something that I've picked out because they are extreme. No, this is every sentence. Yes, this is how the book is built and this is why we get introduced to three characters and some buildings in basically what is one hour of an audiobook. We also meet a very nice train. That is right. And a tree. Oh yeah, and a tree. So, <laughs> but Jesus. Not just Dagny's looks, but also her personality is just profoundly weird. I mean, as I touched on earlier... She's listening to a guy whistling as he works on the train, just... Uh, and she thinks it's a symphony orchestra. Oh, yeah, that's right. I've almost forgot that. That is absolutely insane. How can you hear a symphonic orchestra out of a whistle? And not even a symphonic orchestra. The way it goes, is it's actually 
a symphony that this guy she knows hasn't written yet, but it sounds like his work through a whistle melody. How does that even work? He must have magical lips at that point. I mean, what his whistling sounds like this. A sunburst of sound breaking out of hiding and spreading open. It had the freedom of release and the tension of purpose. It swept space clean and left nothing but the joy of an unobstructed effort. She did not know whether she was hearing a full symphony orchestra or only the theme. And this is a guy whistling on the train while fixing an air conditioner. (laughs) One thing I know at this point is that this character of Daphne... She's on shrooms. There's there no two ways about it. There's, well, there's drugs involved here. She is sleep deprived. She hasn't slept for several days at this point. So maybe that's part of it. But then again, she listens to it and immediately knows who the composer is. Mm-hmm. Richard Halley, whom she's really a fangirl of. She's just completely fangirling out. She says, I know every note he's ever written, but she's not heard this work. She's such an intense fan that she basically feels this connection to him so much that when we go later, she travels uh, by train to her brother and they have this discussion about how the company is supposed to be run, mm. where she suggests buying um, buying new train lines of this yes. special kinds of metal. Uh, and she feels this just as much as basically this uh, symphony. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it, this is an insane thing because... Okay, so she wants to buy new train tracks with a special kind of metal. That's all right. Then her brother, quite, if I have to say so cleverly, suggests Mm. that could be a problem because no other train company wanted to use this metal. It's been untested. Scientists all around have been saying that that it might not work and it's problematic. Yeah. But she insists that it works because of her fucking college education. (laughs) What the fuck? I mean, this is a guy... He's completely reasonable. He has consulted the top experts and professionals and professors in the field, and they yes. all suggest, don't do this. But she thinks, oh, this is the greatest thing ever put on market. And why does she know this? Because I studied engineering in college. So she's and, clearly the world expert. <laughs> clearly the expert, right. And she throws herself on the sword. And she does this several times. Like she says, yeah. oh, if this doesn't work, I'll just sacrifice everything, my character, everything. And she does this also beforehand because she want to reach this meeting. So she lures the train personnel into riding the train in front of a red stop. <laughs> well, we should put the context. She's on a night train, I think. Yes. Uh, the tra- the Taggart Transcontinental Comet, which has never been late. And this is a big sticking point for her because yes. that means it never should be late once. So when she finds out that it's stopped in the middle of the night for a red uh, signal, she immediately goes out and demands that they keep driving. And the only reason she gets away with this is because she's sister to the Taggart uh, character. No, no, she is, uh, she is in charge of the... Of the railroad. Oh, yeah, she's in charge of the railroad. But, but, but again, how does this not fail for her? Just every single time she sees something she wants, she'll just throw herself it's... to the line with this, these mad ideas. And we're supposed to like her, right? Because I think so. She's the protagonist. She, she's not the protagonist of this story. She's the antagonist. It, I, I, she must be. Like, she is the most non-likable character. Well, she may be the, the antagonist in, in practice, but she's intended to be the 
protagonist. She's the hero of the story, supposedly. <laughs> and that says everything so yeah. far, because I have found no saving, like, redemption in her character. Yeah. I mean, she's just strange. When she goes to her brother's office, she insists on sitting on the arm of the chair instead of on the chair itself. And he, she just... He, he, he insists, he asks, could you please just sit normally on a chair? <laughs> no, I'm Dagny. Which is why we suspect that she's really a fraggle. That would make sense. If if she's just really a fraggle, like probably a couple of fraggles who put on adult clothes. Yeah, maybe three fraggles in a trench coat. Yes, <laughs> but- <laughs> I think that's actually the case. Plus that makes sense with the way she's described. She's just as easily be three fraggles hiding in a trench coat. <laughs> It actually makes sense in terms of this quote as well. As if she were unconscious of her own body and that it was a woman's body. Exactly. Because it's not, it's three fraggles. I think there are some quite strong indications of that we're dealing with three fraggles in a trench coat here. Yeah, and it, it does make a certain sense. I mean, she arrives to New York City in tunnels under the city mm-hmm. and emerges up into the world. Another hint here. I think I think we have an opening into the universe yeah. of Fraggle Rock and Atlas Shrugged, how they how they really fit together, actually. Because the, there's a last hint, which uh-huh. we got into in the last recording of <laughs> yeah. this. Because uh, if you remember Eddie Willis, the guy we meet first, who was a childhood friend of the Taggarts, when he was a kid, he liked a great oak tree that stood in the Taggart's garden. Mm-hmm. He just loved it. It was a symbol of strength. But one day lightning struck and it turned out the tree was hollow and rotted away on the inside. And this may be where uh, Dagny crawled up from the Fractal Kingdom to get to oh. the human world. So this is, this is where the... Because we can see from the introduction in Fraggle Rock that the way the Fraggles enters the human world or in this case, the, the Atlas world, uh, is through basically holes in the universe. So that would make sense for the, for the tree to be another portal, basically. I don't think it's a portal. I just think it's a hole in the wall in the, in the show. But, I mean, uh, through, the, through whimsy and imagination, I guess you could call it a portal. I mean, I would like to think that I have a magical portal to my bathroom. Yes, uh, yeah, but but I think this tree is really like a passageway out to a fractal kingdom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Dagny is just three fractals in a trench coat. Yes, and I think and I think that that concludes for for our first episode here our thinking of how the the, the universes fit together. I, th- I think we have an inkling of how the the universes are tightly woven together. Yeah. And as we move ahead, we can keep it in mind that Dagny may not be what she seems. Mm-hmm. There may be something going on there. And that would go in line with her femme fatale qualities, basically. Oh, yes. She's out to uh, manipulate the world. So going back to the, to the agenda for today, so to speak, um, what do we want to do next? Well, we have a couple of points that we've discussed. Uh, we've talked about doing a little... Uh, little reading from the book to get a feel of how uh, masturbatory it is. Because it's sort of like an, it's an erotic quality to the descriptions. So we thought we might do a sexy libertarian reading. And I think that's also a perfect way to, at some point, get us introduced to a lawsuit with the Ayn Rand Institute. So, uh, so, so let's go for it. <laughs> yes, which is the goal. I, I would like to call this section Fifty Shades of Gold. Oh, yeah. 
And that is only going to be more, more fitting as we move along. So, so can we put something like a bit of a porny music under this? Too? I'll, I'll handle that in post. Sounds absolutely perfect. So we were talking about uh, page 29, right? Yes. And if you're reading along out there, it's in the 50th anniversary edition. Yes. Page 29. So let's open the book, as they say. Should I begin? You uh, begin. She remained silent. He said defensively. I don't see why you're so eager to give a chance to Ellis Wyatt. Yet you think it's wrong to take part in developing an underprivileged country that never had a chance. Ellis Wyatt is not asking anybody to give him a chance. And I am not in business to give chances. I'm running a railroad. That's an extremely narrow point of view, it seems to me. I don't see why we should want to help one man instead of a whole nation. I am not interested in helping anybody. I want to make money. That's an impractical attitude. Selfish greed for profit is the thing of the past. It has generally been conceded that the interests of the society as a whole must always be placed first in any business undertaking, which... How long do you intend to talk in order to invade this issue, Jim? What issue? The order for Rian Metal. <sighs> and that must be enough for our... Yes, yes, yes. And here we get the, the metal mentioned we were talking about before, too. Yes. Oh, and it's just going on and on like this. It's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. And, and, and we can only say to the hopefully tons of listeners listening on here, <laughs> please read the book along with us if you want the full, ex oh, yes. full extended experience of this podcast, because there is some golden sentences in here. Really beautiful. It's truly transcendental. So uh, now that we've been flying high with all the eroticism of adjectives and adverbs just flying all over the place, mm -hmm. I think we should come back down to earth and discuss some wokeness. Some absolute wokeness. Because this is a novel written in 1957. Yes. So, of course, we're going to apply new logic to old logic and oh, see oh how yes. it fits. And the TV show is from the 80s, a famously <laughs> progressive <laughs> decade oh, as yes. well. So, uh, how well does it stack up? Is it problematic? So, for starters, we have a problematic, but although strong female character in Atlas Shrugged. So, that's good. Yeah. That's good from a wokeness point of view. We have a strong female character who knows what she wants and grabs all the men by their pussy. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but I was a bit weirded out at, uh, you know, male gaze, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, for the listener. The concept that in films where the camera lingers and the woman's uh, curves and features, where the camera view is seen through the eyes of a man, where that colors everything. And maybe for the case of Daphne, he's a bit cross-eyed, at least. <laughs> yeah, but just, uh, I mean, Anne Rand is a woman. Mm -hmm. So it's surprising, I think, that the descriptions are so... Uh, what the descriptions focus on, like... Her leg, sculptured by the tight sheen of the stocking, its long line running straight over an arched instep to the tip of her foot in a high-heeled pump, with feminine elegance, and a sweep of brown hair fell back, almost touching the line of her shoulders. Yeah, this this very erotic yeah. placement of this character, and at the same time she has to be this strong, 
cold, emotionless character. Yeah, I it mean, clashes a bit. It sounds like a man wrote it. I think it actually does. It it has some <laughs> some some. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed it was a, a, a female writer. Yeah. No, no, you you can't see it from the from this perspective at least. Uh, but she goes into these descriptions of character equally with the men. Like the, the men will get their fair share of gaze. I would say. Yeah, I mean. Eddie Willers do get some some sort of erotic descriptions. He's weirdly described very Aryan, mm -hmm. like with a blonde, blue hair and square jaw and curious eyes. It's like a it's like a a German wet dream. But there's some other weird stuff about the descriptions of Dagny. Uh -huh. Well, we do have the brother creeping on her in a weird way. So this is I'm I'm just condensing a paragraph here. Yes, um, he did not answer. She sat studying her silently. Few people liked her face. The face was cold, the eyes too intense. The beautiful legs slanting down from the chair's arm in the center of his vision annoyed him. They spoiled the rest of his estimate. So this is a man looking straight ahead at his Sister. sister's legs. And, and that is not good. <laughs> it makes it hard for him to be, be, uh, be objective about her, her unlikable nature because he, yeah. her legs are just so beautiful. I would say I would say there's at least some fun zest intones here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's a good word to describe it. <laughs> But then again, uh nobody really thinks she's capable apparently because we get this sentence as well. Eddie Willis was the only person who found it completely natural that she should be the operating vice president of a great railroad, even though she was a woman. Mm. So here we get, if we apply the wokeness factor, goes yeah. all the way down, I would say. That is not a good no. modern feministic point of view. Because of course she should be the boss. She is basically the Beyonce character at this point. Yeah, the Beyonce Fraggle character. So maybe we'll get a Fraggle uh, cover song at some point in Atlas Shrugged the Formation. They are, be... they are very musical. Yes. As is Dagny, so it, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the other thing I have for this is uh, a touch of mild racism yeah. uh, that I wasn't completely comfortable with. Uh, his face showed no reaction, as if the words had no more significance for him than for a savage who had never heard of a railroad. This word savage is... Yeah, it has some cultural connotations, at least. It could be worse. It could be the N-word, or she could be talking about all sorts of uh, ethnic slurs, but savage still isn't... Uh, it's not good. No, it's not good. But there isn't, there isn't as many problems here going on here as I would think for a 1957 novel. No. Like, I was actually pleasant surprised, up until this point, at least. Yeah, uh, it's not too bad beyond the male gaze and... Uh, And Funcest. <laughs> A little Funcest has never hurt anyone. <laughs> Surely not. Um, um, and I, there was nothing that completely struck me out of the blue with the Fraggle episode as very problematic. No, it's, it's, it's very family-friendly. But um, in uh, extension of this, I think we should uh, check in with uh, whether any of these have passed the Bechdel test. Yes, And I think we'll just check in until they do, because mm -hmm. they just need to pass it. Yes. And, and what are the, for the listeners who do not know what the well, Bechdel test is? Two female characters that we learn the name of must have at least one conversation about something other than a man. Yes. 
And right off the bat, Atlas Shrugged fails because there's only one female character. But so does Fraggle Rock too. Yeah, because there are female characters. Mm-hmm. Three, Red, Mookie, and the Trash Heap. Uh, the two Fraggles are in scenes together, but they never speak directly to each other. No. Not once. So, so far... They both have problems passing the Bechdel test, but that might change yeah. during the, I, down the line. I mean, I have higher hopes for uh, for Fraggle Rock than Atlas Shrugged. Oh, yeah, I sure have. I, I hope we see more to the Trash Monster. I think she's a strong female character. Yeah, possibly a queer character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also breaking a lot of stereotypes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I, it uh, seems like she's in a relationship with two uh, two small fellows. So, so, so that's nice. I, I, I pick... I would put my money on she being a drag queen more than anything else. <laughs> she seems like it. So, should we go into to handing out some awards? Yeah. Because uh, we would like to crown the most Fraglian sentence in Atlas Shrugged mm-hmm. and the most Randian sentence in Fraggle Rock. So, do you have any contenders? Yes. I have uh, four or five for each of them. Mm-hmm. Do you have any? Um, not off the bat, but try to run one with yours. Then uh, and I'll, I'll just I'll read them aloud, and we can discuss which ones. Yes, which should win. And I found it uh, quite hard, actually. I don't know why I expected <laughs> it to be easy, <laughs> but I mean, it would be easy to take the, just the general statements like "What do you mean?" Uh, that could work in any situation, but that's not really. Uh, that's not how we run business here. No, no. So, contenders for most Fraglian sentence in Atlas Shrugged. Yes. How can we have any security or plan anything if everything changes all the time? Mm-hmm. And the next one is, when I see things, I see them. <laughs> yes. And we ought to help the smaller fellows to develop. Otherwise, we're just encouraging a monopoly. Yes. And the last one. Selfish greed for profit is a thing of the past. It has been generally conceded that the interests of society as a whole must always be placed first in any business undertaking. I could see a fraggle saying that. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Ah, if you squint. A very progressive fraggle, or a very <laughs> contrarian fraggle, at least. Intellectual fraggle. Yes. Um, I would like to go with the, with the protection of the smaller characters. I think it fits with the fraggle universe but still it's it's it fits in the randian universe not uh, when i see things i see them <laughs> Ooh, that's also a good one that's also a good one <laughs> that's the one that actually could sound like it was from there yeah you're, you're probably right yeah let's go with that one let's go with that one and no big surprise it's from dagny the yeah. <laughs> three so this this just goes more towards our theory of her being three fraggles in a trench coat I think that's yeah. it's a good theory so far. And it's also her argument for, for buying the metal. <laughs> I started engineering in college. When I see things, I see them. Oh, yeah, that's right. I think there are strong indications of Dagny being a post-factualist. Uh, what does that mean? A post-factualist. Oh, fact, oh yeah. factual. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's a very... Uh, so, she's social constructivist. Yeah, <laughs> at least. Uh, she... she uh, she thinks reality is a malleable substance. But that goes in the wokeness factor. If we, uh... Yeah, that's uh, progressive, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, so the most radiant sentence in a Fraggle Rock episode. Mm-hmm. Number one, it's a short one. 
Begin construction. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> radiant to me. Uh, <laughs> yes. There are times when one must work out one's own problems. Don't worry, we'll leave you all completely alone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Is this actually a sentence from the fragment? <laughs> it's in there. And it's the hippie fraggle. <laughs> there are more connections here than, than I would dare to believe. Yeah. Uh, and I'll take one more. It's a good thing I'm hungry. I can eat my way to freedom. <laughs> <laughs> it could also be Dagny, really. Yeah, they could, it could be Dagny. All of them could be Dagny. <laughs> like, it's, with a, I think we actually, because the... Let's begin construction is so fitting with the first chapter yeah. of of Atlas Rock that it has to be written in the sentence. Yeah. Wow. Well that's wow. ground then. <laughs> I think I think Fraggle Rock is posing as a as a cutesy TV show and it, it has yeah. some, some deeper layers. Well I think we should uh, be on the lookout for some deep philosophical stuff coming yes. up. Some long rants about industry and construction and the nature of reality. And that will, of course, be coming from Fraggle Rock. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so do we have a most interesting character? Uh, I have some uh, nominees. Mm-hmm. I can just read out mine, and yes. uh, you can uh, mention any that you may have, and then we mm-hmm. can decide mm-hmm. on one. So for Atlas Shrugged, I have three. Yes. The guy whistling a concerto on the train, because... God damn, that guy's he's a, mysterious. He's a, an amazing musician, apparently. <laughs> he's a legend. Yeah. So he's, a, right off the bat, an amazing character. Then one we haven't mentioned, which is Pop Harbor. Mm-hmm. He's an old man working at Taggart Transcontinental, and when we meet him, he's pulling his typewriter apart and just spouting nonsense. Oh, yeah, I forgot about him. He's actually quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. he's the fourth character we get introduced to. I mean, he's And the, he really hates typewriters made of tin. Yeah, I mean, to me, he's the most relatable character. I, mean, <laughs> I can see myself in him. Yes, yes, exactly. He's very concerned with where you get woolen undershirts. <laughs> so he's a hipster. And just my third one is just Dagny because she's just such a true weirdo. <laughs> But I think I, I think there's a good chance Dagny will win several of these awards. So I think, yeah. I think it's too early on to give her. I think. Uh, do we have any uh, contenders? I am I'm, I'm leaning towards our typewriter hero. I would say. Or maybe the guy whistling because I have a feeling he won't be back. And uh, hmm. Pop Harbor probably plays a role. But I think the guy whistling is just. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a. Uh... That's a good way of seeing it. Let's let's go with the whistle man. Because I'm sure Pop Harbor will win the prize for 20 of these episodes. If he keeps being as insane. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a close running. Yes. But simply by virtue of being so, uh, so temporary, that mm-hmm. guy on the train really deserves some attention. Yes, with his magical lips. Truly extraordinary. So for Fraggle Rock, I only have two... Mm-hmm. I think Traveling Matt is just a, a terrific guy going on a hero's journey and we won't follow him. Yes, he's basically the Hobbit. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty much the <laughs> Hobbit. <laughs> so Fraggle Rock is the Hobbit if we just stayed in in the, in the Shire and got regular postcards. <laughs> yes. oh, I'm finding a dragon now. 
Oh, oh, Uncle Traveling Bilbo. And and if if it keeps going this way, it's actually a really, really smart way to save a lot of money by telling yeah, the entire yeah. story through postcards. Otherwise, it could very quickly get expensive. Oh, yes, with all the puppets. And my, my other nominee uh, is the Trash Heap, because, damn, she just sim- gets by on confidence and some really sloppy advice. I, s- I simply have to go for the Drag Queen tr- Trash Heap. I think it's a yeah. wonderful character. And I hope we get to see her again, but I think there's a chance we do not get to see her again. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I think it's the only appearance in the episodes I've seen, but we really need more Trash Heap. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's the that's the clear winner for me. That's the trashy, yeah, the wonderful character. And so finally, yes, I have uh, best word or phrase, mm-hmm. and I have one for each of them. Yes, I could only that was one that stuck out uh-huh. for Atlas Shrugged. Personal emotion. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is the weirdest phrase I've ever heard. Personal emotion, but that's because she writes these emotionless characters. She yeah. has to put some personality into them by words, I guess. But just the personal emotion. Okay, so the context is that James observed with satisfaction that she was silenced by anger. He liked to observe emotions. They were like red lanterns strung along the dark unknown of another's personality, marking vulnerable points. But how could one feel a personal emotion about a metal alloy? And what such an emotion indicated was incomprehensible to him, so he could make no use of his discovery. And just really struck me that line, personal emotion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I only have impersonal emotions. That's the only kind of emotions that make sense, right? Yeah, like uh, shared emotions. Collective emotions, emotions from all of society. Who has a personal emotion? Not in this universe. No one no, has. No. Yeah, so that's my uh, Atlas Shrugged uh, phrase. Mm-hmm. And from Fraggle Rock, I just like that outer space uh, way to describe our world. I'd like to think that we live in outer space. Yes. And it's, it's, it's almost randy in the way it's introduced i just read the quote here. Yes. Some giant magical force penetrated the very substance of Fraggle Rock. An opening has appeared and I can gaze into outer space. There it lies, strange and mysterious, just as the legend said it would, the final frontier for Fraggledom. I would say we, we found our most, uh, most Randian sentence in Fraggle Rock. <laughs> yeah, that may be more like it. <laughs> that's, that's... I, I avoided it because there were so many Fraggle-specific words to it. Yeah, wow. But it is very intense. It is very intense. I, I mean, generally, if I should pick one Randian character, I would pick uh, Uncle Traveling Matt because he has some really beautiful ways of phrasing things. Mm-hmm. This is how he describes the fraggles as a people while we see them just being silly goof-offs and messing around. <clears throat> fraggles are a noble race, fearless, dignified, intellectual. They represent the pinnacle of civilization and culture. The fraggle is most assuredly the best of all possible creatures. Wow. So <laughs> that's all I'm so kind of Randian. Yes. I think, uh, I, I, to my surprise, starting out from this episode, I, I didn't think we would get this far into the connections between the two universes, but I think it's, it's deepening and deepening the further we dig into it. Yeah, I think there's good fertile ground here for mm-hmm. further exploration. Let's, uh, let's 
make a railroad through the great lands of Fraggle Rock and uh, the Tackett Kingdom and uh, yes. discover all the way stations where these two worlds meet. Build on a metal that's hopefully working, but trust my college education, it will be working. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> when I see things, I see them. And and on that note, yeah, let's let's, uh, let's wrap up the episode. Do we have the episode title right there? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Should that be the title? I, I think that's a perfect title for this episode. And on that note, let's uh, let's go and read the next chapter of Battle Shrugged. Yeah, we'll see you back here for more uh, Fraggle Shrugged. Ah, <sighs> see ya. This podcast is produced by Monegale Media, a small and independent Danish media collective. If you want to learn more about this podcast and our other projects, visit our website at maanegal.dk, that is Monegale with two A's up front, .dk. At the moment, most of our stuff is in Danish, but we are looking to expand our selection in English in the future. So, you know, stay tuned. To the madness. <laughs>